The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Yeah, so it, it is a, a, um, a kind of a common thing. And that's partly how the, the ongoing daily life practice group that I have um, arose. I didn't used to offer anything. It's just like, okay, bye, see you. And, and people didn't want to leave. <laughs> so so it, they, they kind of inspired me to create this monthly group where there, there's a touching in every month. And so that's a, that's a little bit. And the form of that group is very like this. You know, it, there's sometimes a teaching that I'll offer, something that's come up in my mind around practicing in daily life, but very much it's responsive to what are you noticing. So that gives you a little touch-in uh, once a month. That also opens you, of course, to the opportunity for these other other offerings. Um, but, um, you know, partly, you know, we come to a practice center to learn the practice. And, uh, you know, again, I'll offer these... So next year, I think I'm offering them about every three months. Because um, I think I'm doing... No, maybe it's every four months. Because I'm doing three next year. And, um, you know, that that's a, a kind of an infusion each time. But part of what we explore... I mean, the support is amazing. And um, we do have to learn how to kind of hold it ourselves and carry it ourselves. And... Um, begin to uh, see what, you know, can we land on some kind of motivation for ourselves. And that may mean, you know, if, if you, um, that may mean finding a buddy. You know, that's something that you, some of you might think about is, you know, find a buddy that you can check in with. I don't know, you know, every other day or even once a day. Some people do that. They just send an email, hey, I'm, I'm noticing this, or, you know, just, just a little, you know, even a five or ten minute check-in with a, a Dharma buddy can be really supportive. Um, so that's a possibility. But, you know, really it is, um, ultimately it's an inner practice that we, it's kind of like we, can, we become stealth Dharma practitioners in our day. And we just carry our uh, curiosity about what's happening into, into all of our activities, into... Um, you know, into our work, into our relationships. And, you know, it is more difficult. It is more difficult to, uh, to do it without the support. You know, that's, that's why um, I keep offering these. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a residential retreat. You know, you go on a residential retreat and there's a, a deepening of understanding, a deepening of capacity to be present that comes with those conditions. And we've created conditions here in this week that support a certain level of mindfulness. And those conditions do go away. And the level of mindfulness diminishes often without the support. You could, you could continue, like just continue practicing. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good, here's a good tool. Um, to use. So part of the power of this group is that you are remembering every day that you might be talking about your practice. You might be talking about what's happening. And um, that kind of helps you to orient your interest and your curiosity around your day to how does the Dharma come in to my experience? So there's a 
So some of the practice of this week is a little around the reporting. I didn't say this at the beginning, but the fact that you come and are in a group this small, most of you are are sharing whenever you're here. And so there's a little bit of a kind of like, oh, what am I going to share? Or, you know, something like that is going on when you're not here. So that becomes a part of the practice that, oh, I'm going to be describing something of what's happened. And as we describe our experience, you know, so what I found for myself, I, I found this um, on, probably on my first long meditation retreat in Burma. There was a very particular form that the teachers expected us to report in. And um, it was, you know, just describing what you noticed arising, how you noti- what you noticed about that arising, how you noticed it changing, and what happened as it disappeared. It was just very, very specific. And as I began being curious about my experience in that way and reporting my experience to the teacher, as I began um, uh, orienting or being curious about my experience from that perspective, I began kind of reporting to myself And as I reported to myself, you know, it's kind of like, okay, what am I going to say to my teacher? I would kind of be thinking, thinking through what I had done. So it's reflecting. It's reflecting back on what I'd experienced and thinking through what I'd experienced and trying to think about how would I talk about that to my teacher. And as I did that, I, um, I began hearing him respond while I was creating the the, the report. And so it was a way in which I began to internalize the teaching. So to some extent, you know, hearing the conversations here um, over time, I, I don't know whether this, this has happened, but sometimes over time, you know, hearing the kinds of questions I ask or the way I respond, that can become internalized a little bit. And if you're thinking about, well, what, what might I describe in my experience? And um, then you might think, oh, you know, oh, I didn't notice that piece, or oh, maybe I could be curious about that piece. Um, so some sometimes doing a kind of a self-reporting. If you don't have a friend, you can you can um, describe your experience to, or don't have a friend you feel comfortable describing your experience to. You could keep kind of like a dharma journal, you know, just it's it's different. It's different than a journal where you're describing to yourself the content of what's happening. It's more about describing, you know, what did you notice? What, what were you noticing? What kinds, of, um, what kinds of emotions did you notice? And how did you practice with it? What did you, you know, what did you notice? At, you know, what kind of things did you notice were contributing to it? What did you notice as you began paying attention to it? Did you notice confidence? Did you notice... Um, how strong the mindfulness was. What, what happened when you felt overwhelmed? What did you choose to do when you felt overwhelmed? So just kind of describing the experience to yourself in the way you might describe it in this room. Not with the content so much, but more about process. The process of what you noticed and the process of how you observed it. And that can be a way, it, I mean, it, it kind of helps you if you do that, you know, five minutes every day, it would be kind of a regular um, orientation of, oh, okay, this is a time to think about how am, I, how am I bringing the Dharma into my daily life? And that can be a reminder. You know, mostly we need reminders. <laughs> mostly we need reminders. 
So that's uh, one option is kind of a self-reporting. Actually, you know, if you come tomorrow, um, I wrote up, I was going to write a book about this retreat, and I never, <laughs> I never did. <laughs> but I did write up some excerpts. Um, and I have about eight pages of that written up. Um, I will post it on the internet. So I've created a little um, series for this week. And you can post documents on Audio Dharma with the with the um, the retreats and with the with the talk. You can just post a talk. Or you can post a document. And so I've posted what I handed out earlier this week, and I've posted the talks, the things that I've recorded. I will post that eight-page document, which gives a kind of some of it's what I handed out earlier, but it, there, it also talks about the self-reporting. It talks about some other things to explore, some of the things we've talked about this week. So that, that might be of use. Um, then the other, another piece that I find helpful, you know, just coming back to that question of remembering, which is the biggest piece. I mean, I think that's a lot of what this container does is help you remember, you know, the... It's just like the sitting meditation. When you're in sitting meditation, you have the support of the posture, the stillness, and it helps you remember, right, what I'm doing is trying to be mindful. And and this container kind of serves that purpose in a, lo- a larger, more diffuse way, you know, the container of the retreat of coming back each day. And so, you know, you, people have mentioned thinking about, oh, what am I doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to that, that, the, the, the class at IMC. And, oh, mindfulness. Oh, <laughs> I can be mindful now. So it, it kind of just helps remem- us remember just having the structure. So remembering is the hardest part, I'd say. And having structures in your life to help you remember. So the 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 tools that I've offered are structures that can help you remember if you pick something, you know, something different each week to try to explore. Uh, it might keep it a little more alive. Um, one thing I did at one point, Gil is starting a Paramis class today, and I did a Paramis series just a few weeks ago, actually. I, I did 10 weeks on the Paramis, and so there's information out there on the Paramis. Those are qualities that um, we cultivate in daily life. Uh, in, in Burma, when you go to the monastery, if you're practicing in your daily life, the teacher will often ask you, okay, so what, do you, what Parami are you working on right now? <laughs> and those, are, those qualities are qualities like generosity, ethics, um, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, uh, truthfulness, um, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. So they're qualities that support us in our daily life practice. And at one point, I had a paramis practice, you know, this, this idea of including the paramis in my life, where I took piece, little pieces of paper with the words, you know, one word each. So I had 10 of those pieces of paper, one for each parami, and I reflected on where do I most need that parami. So I put generosity on the door as I left the house. It's like, you know, think about being generous as you leave the house. And I put wisdom on the refrigerator, and I put 
Um, I put equanimity on the computer. I put truthfulness on the telephone. You know, just, just things like that, you know, just to remind myself. Patience was on the bathroom mirror because I noticed that I was getting impatient when I was uh, brushing my teeth. So, you know, just little little things, little reminders. Um, you could make them bigger, you know, so just ways to remind yourself uh, you know, a big, a big um, piece of paper so you can't see your face in the mirror uh, or something that just helps you remember to, to uh, connect with it. A, a little warning about those, you know, when, when you put them on, if you put them up and um, uh, just leave them, after about a week you'll start ignoring them. So, you know, you might need to um, change the positions uh, regularly change the color of the sign. Just do something to mix it up, um, because our minds very quickly just like ignore something that's been there for a while. Um, so those are a few thoughts around. How, basically, is how do we help ourselves remember? How do we help ourselves stay connected? Another another thing that is. Um, going to be offered on occasion perhaps i think it's being offered over the the christmas holidays or the you know the 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 fall the solstice time um one of our um senior students occasionally offers a morning sit from i think it's 7 to 8 a.m. and there's just a little 15 minute you know a sitting and a little 15 minute like discussion and so that's that's happening occasionally she did it for six weeks this summer, um, so it's a drop-in group. It's 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 not got this form where you get familiar with everybody. Although I did hear there was kind of a group <laughs> that came, um, um, and that that it sounds like that may happen kind of periodically through the year. So it's advertised, and if that supports you to just show up and sit with people in the morning, and that's sometimes available too. Um, this is another good so what to do about the information you're noticing about the difficult pattern Um, you know partly the way I think of um, our practice is that we are we are naturalists we are like wandering through an unfamiliar landscape and we're getting to know it. Um, there's a way in which just that curiosity about what we're wandering through, it's like we notice, we notice, oh, look at this. This thing happens here in these conditions and, oh, this thing happens here in these conditions. Um, and just imagine, you know, think about the... Um, the early humans who looked up at the night sky. You know, there was no, no information, no books, nothing that people could, you know, say, hey, look at these, and uh, look at these, these stars that have a, a pattern in the sky. They stay put, and then starting to notice that there's some, you know, that move through that field, and recognizing that there's a kind of a, a seasonal pattern to those, and, and, you know, just learning about basically just by watching, just by, just by being with. And imagine, too, how long it took, how much patience it took to begin to understand something about 
the stars. Just every night you go up, out, you look up. Sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't. But each night you just look. The mind understands. The mind creates... It's like our minds are designed to learn and to create patterns and to understand things. And so the um, just the being in uh, the conditions of wandering through a landscape, wandering through as difficult patterns arise and seeing the information that's there, our minds begin to put things together. Um, it's more about that stance of curiosity with that stance of curiosity, there's, there's, some, there's, some, um, there's a capacity for wisdom in our system um, that if we, uh, if we do have just the stance of curiosity of, wow, look at this, watch how, watch how uh, anger arises and what's the impact of anger arising? Suffering, <laughs> you know, it's you, you begin to so a simple a simple learning that can happen. For instance, is you know, this this um, very first project I picked on my emotional pattern of looking at my anger. Pretty quickly, I began to recognize. I think I might have mentioned this earlier in the week that I had this belief that. Being angry was going to somehow make the person I was angry with miserable. And I was so focused on the kind of, yeah, just, see, you, just you see how miserable you're going to be when you, you know, get the full brunt of this anger or whatever. You know, it's just some silly thing in the mind, you know, just, it was focused outward on how, and, and some degree of feeling satisfied or something that the mind was getting out of that, that it was not actually experiencing or recognizing, oh, this anger hurts here. In my, in my um, exploration of it, when I saw that belief, when I saw that I believed that this was somehow going to make the other person miserable, it was so quickly revealed to be just a completely ludicrous belief because I was in the South Pacific, in the Peace Corps. I was 7,000 miles away from the person who, who uh, I was angry with. There was no way they even knew I was angry. And yet I was suffering. And so that was a learning. You know, that was a, that was a recognition that, wow, that belief, that belief is kind of obscuring the feeling of the anger itself. And when I actually land and recognize anger hurts, it's like the, the system, our system, our organism, doesn't really want to suffer in that way. And so this is something that, this, this kind of wisdom, mostly we give ourselves good information. We explore what's actually here in this moment. We notice when we are not in this moment and when we're kind of adding filters or projecting into the future or believing something based on an idea and and how that can obscure what's actually happening right now. And when we land in what's actually happening right now, our system begins to give us different guidance. You know, it's like that example I gave about the apple 
cutting the apple and seeing the thought arise about the person I was angry with and how the mind kind of wanted to head towards anger. Um, When that happened after kind of, I think that was about three months into my practice, three months into the observation of the anger. And by that point, my system knew very well that when anger arose, it was suffering here. And so when the mind saw, you know, and again, this wasn't something I did, and so I say it in this way, the mind saw it. It wasn't like I was doing mindfulness and I was trying to do anything. What I was doing was cutting an apple. You know, that was where my attention was directed, and yet there was mindfulness available that witnessed the arising of that thought, the arising of the kind of the movement towards anger, and that in that moment, it's kind of like I felt the fruition of the wisdom that had been accumulating through the watching of the anger. You know, I, I deeply understood, the mind deeply understood, more than me, actually, the mind deeply understood, if you go that way, it's not going to be pretty. And in seeing that, it was almost like the mind let go of the anger, much as, you know, when, when we touch a hot pot on a stove, our, 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 our system withdraws from it because it understands if you hold on to that, suffering is going to follow. So in a very similar way, the mind just stepped back from that. It just chose not to go there. So that was kind of the fruition of the wisdom that had been developing through really just the curiosity of wandering in the landscape of anger, getting familiar with what went on around it, what the beliefs were, what the feelings were. And then the, you know, the, that it, it has an impact. And, and that, that was a pretty powerful uh, kind of sudden impact. You know, it's like in that moment, the mind saw that and let it go and there was a, a kind of a clear recognition of how powerful the wisdom can be. Um, I've also seen it, it be much more gradual, you know, much more just like another stretch of time, couple years of working with the pattern of anger. It was very deeply, deep rut, very deep rut in my mind. And so I kept just kept watching it and kept watching it. And again, it was, it was uh, you know, just kind of meet it, notice it. And in this case, I was noticing that I'd get stuck to it when I tried to consciously be mindful of it. And so I decided, okay, I'll meet it, I'll acknowledge it, and then I'll just, like, let it be in the room with me, but not, like, directly pay attention to it. I've talked about that kind of thing in this practice, in this week. It's like, you know, you, you just, like, set it aside. It's like... You know, not now, I'm just going to, you know, you can hang out with me, but I'm going to put my attention on something else. And I did that for a couple of years. And there was a slow kind of wisdom that grew there, too, that was so slow and so gradual, kind of like the rotting rope analogy I talked about the other day. I didn't see things changing from day to day. I didn't see things changing even week to week or month to month. But at some point, there was a recognition that, wow, you know, that anger that anger that I used to experience all the time, it's not there anymore. And it was more noticing it in the absence than, you know, than actually, you know, some major big, uh, 
you know, insight that happened around it, it just gradually, gradually wore away like the, the, the rotting rope, you know, that the sun, the sand, the wind, gradually just a little bit of contact and non-repression but non-acting on, just that movement over and over again wore the pattern away. And so some of it, just to answer your question, there's not really much to do with the information, consciously at least, except continue being curious. There's a, a, you know, there's a way in which our system understands how to deal with that information much better than our conscious minds do. So uh, what I offered um, uh, is if there's a time that there's overwhelm, there's a tool that uh, I find really, really helpful. You know, when the mind is just so magnetized to something, it's very difficult to be either mindful of it, you just get sucked into it, or you know, if you try to put your attention on something else, you immediately get pulled back to it. And so it's helpful to have something where uh, you, you consciously are directing your attention, um, but you, you make contact with something for a second and then shift to something else. And because for many of us the visual field is a strong area that it's pretty easy to connect, it's, it's a, um, a useful object to turn to. And so what I suggest is that you look at corners. So let's try it right now. I'll just describe it while, um, and then just try it while I'm describing it. And so pick a corner. It might be the corner uh, of where two lines to come together. It might be the place where a chair meets the carpet or the corner of a door. So look at that point. Look at that, that point for just a second. And then move your head and pick another one for just a second. Actually land on that thing. Contact it. Look at it. And then shift to another one. And then another one. And then another one. And really helpful to move your head while you do it. So we'll do this for like 15 seconds here. Look and shift. Look and shift. So that um, can, because you're consciously focusing on something, it can break, it can, even if you do it for like two or three minutes, it can break into a very powerful pull to something and give you a break from it. You know, it just can, it can just kind of like just cut into it. Uh, It generally is helpful to keep shifting because if you just like stay with something, your mind can go into stare mode and it'll just kind of like loop back to whatever the thing is that you've got, you've been stuck to. So you really have to be conscious about, it's like look and shift and look and shift and look and shift. Um, so go ahead and uh, let me turn this off. That's useful. So... Um,
you know, in, in doing that kind of shifting practice, you can see that within a short time, the mind can let go of something pretty powerful, a pretty powerful habit or pattern that it's stuck to. Um, one thing that, one bit of information um, that can be useful is, is if there's a surge of something, um, you know, that, that these emotions, strong emotions, are generally the result of, uh, well, they're the result of a thought and um, uh, a situation and, and the mind kind of goes into reactivity. But biologically, apparently, there's, you know, it's like a hormone release. There's been this release of stuff in the system. And there's, um, have any of you read this book called My Stroke of Insight? Uh, yeah, the book is amazing, actually. The uh, same woman who did the TED Talk wrote a book. And, um, you know, she, uh, she was a neurobiologist and um, had a stroke. And there was a lot she learned about her mind during that time. But one of the things she pointed to is, like, at some point when she, uh, she, she had had this stroke where she was in a space from time to time that was just so easeful and peaceful, um, and then, and then her, her uh, kind of, the, the stroke was in her left brain, and so that's the kind of part that kind of does all the stuff <laughs> that we get reactive about. And, and so as her left brain was coming back, she began noticing that um, her patterns, her habits were kind of coming to the fore again. And she, uh, she, explored this possibility of what she called stepping to the right, which is stepping into her, the other side of her brain and, um, you know, doing, seeing if she could not be engaged in all of those patterns. So essentially from the meditative point, it's kind of like, can we not land in all of those thoughts? Because as she described it, it's like each time we land in those thoughts, it's like, it's like releasing those hormones, you know, it's like it pushes the button of the, the hormone release. And so that, that kind of describes physiologically this pattern that the Buddha says, you know, whatever we think and ponder becomes the inclination of our minds. It's just that, you know, each time we think that thought, we get this hormone release and it, it, it just wears down that groove. So, um, but what she knew from her biology was, um, from her neurobiology was like one, one of those hormone releases. If just like if you just have one thought that releases hormones that creates the arising of a of a reactive pattern, that hormone flush will last in the body for ninety seconds. Ninety seconds. So if you can kind of step aside from it for 90 seconds, that whole flush will leave the system. Now, if you, in that time, kind of have the thought arise again, it's like you push the button again and you get another 90 seconds. And that's kind of what happens to us. You know, we're just continually, like, pushing that button and releasing those hormones. (laughs) So... So if you can if you can kind of hang out there for uh, for ninety seconds, it can it can give you a kind of a so just this is information that I think is interesting that can help us to have maybe a little sometimes we are a a, a, a culture of science and uh, 
And if we have information like that, it, it might give us some of the confidence or trust that, oh, okay, maybe if I try, maybe all, what I need to do is to do this useless gazing for 90 seconds. Really, really do it for 90 seconds. And then see what happens. Now, if a thought, if, if uh, as the thought comes back, and it will come back, you know, you get another hit. But... Um, Again, if you can recognize, okay, another 90 seconds, another 90 seconds. It's, it, it gives you a kind of a sense of, all right, this is a created or constructed phenomenon. This is how the body responds. This is how the body and mind respond to, uh, to these conditions. And the body and mind will respond to different conditions in a different way. So sometimes uh, I, I like that 90-second rule. You know, it's like, okay... Can I just hang out with this for for ninety seconds and just learn what I can about it, and then see what happens afterwards? And you know, frequently, like you know, with very familiar patterns, uh, they they do keep coming back. I mean, it's not like ninety seconds and they're done. You know, they're gone forever, but it can give you a break from that pattern. And then you might also be able to see, because it's, it's kind of really diminished, you might be able to really see in the next moment, what is it that is creating? What, what's happening that, the, that that button is getting pushed again? And that's information too, you know, as, as, we, as we begin to see, like, like my seeing that, that intention or that movement in the direction of... Um, uh, anger. It's like the mind was seeing. I was reaching for the button. You know, that's what, that's what, what I was seeing. It's like, I'm reaching for that button. And the mind just said, I don't think so, because it knew the consequences of that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, some scientific information that can help us stay there.